We want to welcome all of our listeners to another episode of Minority Report Podcast with Eric and Carell. Each episode, we talk with leaders in business, tech, and media. But first, today's episode is sponsored by Beeler Tech, with a focus on building meaningful relationships for individuals and companies. Beeler Tech facilitates powerful connections and conversations, empowers with hands-on coaching and consulting, and amplifies with targeted exposure and messaging. In the digital advertising and media world, Beeler Tech is your connection to what's possible. So today, joining us is Michael Texador, who's the Vice President Program Management Office at the Interactive Advertising Bureau, or as most others know, as the IAB. Let's jump in and get to know Michael. Michael, welcome. How are you? Good. Good. Thanks for having me, guys. Absolutely. Thrilled you're hanging out with us and can't wait to sort of learn about everything that's happening at the IAB these days. But first, we want to talk with you and get to know you a little bit more. So, Michael, tell us a little bit about you. Tell us about where you were born and raised and tell us about your family. Yeah, I'm New York, Brooklyn, born and raised. So I'm a, I'm a New Yorker for life. The city is one of the things that I, I bleed. Quick shout out, go Knicks, you know, but... <laughs> I am from a uh, Afro-Latino background. My my dad is Puerto Rican. My mother's Panamanian, but I would consider myself a little bit more of a New Yorican. I don't I don't speak Spanish, unfortunately, but I embrace the culture. I, I live the culture, so it's a little bit of a, a kind of a mix there. I grew up in a household that I was listening to both Mark Anthony as well as Luther Vandross, Marvin Gaye, Stevie Wonder. So I came from a bit of a mixed background of what most would consider now, I guess, African-American culture, a little bit of the soul, Motown, mixing that in with some of the Latin flavors. So that's a little bit about where I come from. Currently now I'm residing in Long Island. Like I said, I feel very connected to the city and my roots here and my family. So this is the place where I would love to kind of raise the next generation of my family. That's great. Michael, I want to ask you a little bit about that because it's such a a real American experience, and then also just a just an American life, right? So, you know, having family from Puerto Rico and you know, in Panama, but yet being uniquely from here. What what was that like growing up, having family who has one foot there and one foot here, but you are grounded in both those truths? What's that been like? It was interesting. It was something where I think more of the traditional kind of Latin culture when I was much younger was a little bit harder to kind of absorb. My grandparents, my grandmother on my father's side, she doesn't speak any English at all. She understands it, but she only speaks Spanish. So communicating with her and and kind of growing up where I would still have to live the traditions and the ideals of how that type of household would have been put into place in that type of structure was very interesting. And, And then from my mother's side was very much a little bit more West Indian in flavor. You saw a little bit more of kind of the Jamaican roots of my family that went to Panama and a little bit of the mixture there. So it was kind of living some of that island vibe, but seeing yeah. both sides of it, right? You have that West Indian side that people commonly kind of separate from some of the Latin islands and mm-hmm. was able to kind of get both of that embrace. And then, like I said, very Americanized. My dad, when he was much younger, I would, my mother would tell me stories of how he 
would think he's a Black Panther. He was an artist and he would paint and draw pictures that were very pro-Black. And it would be these types of 70s and 60s kind of vibes that that you commonly see with some of the Black Panther movement and things along those lines. So I had a lot of that instilled in me. Marvin Gaye, very much big, very prominent um, person that I would listen to in my household. Fascinating. At a certain point, you get started down your path to higher learning, to going to college and university. And how did you begin that part of your life journey before you even get to all the great companies that you've worked for, like Crane and the New York Times and Pandora and now at the IAB? Education was always something that my family, my mother, that she stressed. I didn't have what some would say is traditional gender norms in my household. My dad kind of played the Mr. Mom role. He was the one that was taken off and he was coming to the school and part of the PTA and he was making cupcakes for birthdays and he would take off for class trips. And my mother was the one that was kind of shooting up in her career and, and striving. And she was the one that was in the boardroom. So yeah, it was it was awesome. two different kind of dynamics that I mm-hmm. saw when it came to my mother and my father versus what some people would traditionally say they saw maybe in their household. But at the end of the day, because of the path that my mother was on, education was always important. College was always a necessity in my household. It was never something that was optional. She came from a house where my grandmother could maybe sometimes not afford enough chicken whenever they had someone come over and visit. So she would have to give up her piece of chicken if my dad came over for dinner and she would let him eat her piece of chicken, right? So mm-hmm. they came from very humble beginnings. And to see what my mother was able to build, she knew that education was part of that. This was a woman that I remember going to her, her graduation for her master's from the new school. And, you know, I was probably eight or nine years old. So she got her master's in her 40s. And she was someone who, again, it was like, look, try to do what I'm doing and more. You know, yeah, and that was always the case. That's amazing, Michael. I want to ask you a little bit more about that because we're talking about something that's like a really sort of progressive kind of perspective, right? That sort of swap would have been considered in the past as sort of like traditional roles. And you know, I want to ask you two things first about like how that's impacted you as a leader in your family and like what you do for your family, having seen your dad and your mom kind of do things a little bit differently, right? How does that impact you today? And second, you talk about getting that master's in the 40s and then that perseverance. How do those combination of things sort of impact you with your family and even work? Oh, man, I heard so many times that I am my mother's son when it comes to her level of work ethic and and how she tries to put herself out there. I'm my mother's son. What's interesting is... I look at my parents and I try to be the best of both of them. When it comes to the way my dad approached his children, how he approached our family, not to say my dad was working, he was still he was still doing jobs, but he wanted to always have a, a job where, like I said, he could take off and be on the field trip. He taught Sunday school. And when I'm telling you, my dad would come to the school, there were so many of my classmates that knew him because That's they either awesome. had him as a Sunday school teacher or he was on the trip. And if a kid forgot, they didn't get their lunch or whatever the case, he was buying them lunch if we went to the, the Bronx Zoo or something like that. So the way that my dad approached his family and that 
priority level that we were, that's something that I absorbed from him very early. I live and die for my kids. So for me, that was something that I took from my father. But when it came to how I work, how I define success, that came from my mother. Again, my mom came from very humble beginnings. And this was a woman that even at a very early age, she was like, just invest in stocks. She doesn't know much about it. Even to today, she'll call me. She'll be like, hey, I, I, I read this thing or I saw this thing. What is Bitcoin? Should we buy something? She's always thinking about it. She doesn't know about it, but she was always like, keep your eye on, on something that's going to move us financially forward, that's going to make sure that we're set up and that we're stable, right? So for her, she was always making sure that we had the full support system that we needed, that we were always fed, that we always had a roof over our head. So I try to balance out the mentality of both of them. I think I'm doing a pretty good job of absorbing that. So that's something that's really influenced how I move. I would say my parents are my number one influences in my life. In regards to how other ways that's kind of affected me is I think I approach understanding relationships because of how I saw my parents' relationships. I don't see it in kind of a one, you know, in a one way. I think that there's ways that I look at relationships, especially whether it's between men and women or how the, the people that I work with. I think that I look at those relationships from a little bit more of a wider lens because my parents played so many different roles in our household. And there wasn't this idea of, okay, well, you know, I know the Chris Rock joke of daddy gets the big piece of chicken. It wasn't like that. It was like everyone was a partner. My mom and my dad were equal all the time. So. Mike, how does that approach help you? I mean, you mentioned a little bit about the relationships you build in a professional setting, right? You manage people, you're a leader. How does that help you in sort of managing and leading people as well, too? I think when it comes to leading people, I look at their experiences. I think when you're dealing with people, you have to look at the individual person. You can't make an assumption that, that people, they're going to act alike or that they're going to move in a certain way. So you have to understand the person for who they are and what they're going through. When it comes to being a leader, I usually tell my team or the, or the people that I'm, I'm working with that, again, this is a team sport. I'm not the coach. I'm on the court with you. And we got to figure out the best way to balance out our skill sets to make this happen. Shaq shouldn't be shooting threes and Steph Curry shouldn't be rebounding. That's just not what it is. They both have a particular role on the team. So you got to figure out what that team dynamic is and how do you want to make that work? So to me, when I'm leading a team, I'm looking at how can I, one, lead that team from behind? How can I empower my team to make decisions? Because if I'm the Shaq on the team and I throw the ball out to Steph Curry, I want to make sure that that, that person feels comfortable shooting a three every time. I want to know that I trust them and that they trust me to make the right move when we need to. So I really try to look at relationship dynamics as equal. And I try to understand who the person is and I try to respond accordingly to that person and what their experiences are. Love the basketball example, by the way. You truly are big time Knicks fan, huh? <laughs> next, next, next question I have for you is you've had a great career in learning and development. Why are you so passionate about learning and development? You talked a little bit about education and, and your upbringing and the impact there. Would love to dig in a little bit more about your passion around learning and development. I think for me, learning is something that we should be doing every day. I make it a personal 
mission of my own that every day I should learn something new. And it could be anything. It could be, you know, I listen to Star Talk, Neil deGrasse Tyson's podcast. I listen to, it could be something in regards to cooking, right? I might just watch a, a segment from Gordon Ramsay, whatever the case may be. I think that we should always be trying to learn. It's a way for us to continuously make ourselves better than the moment prior. So education and learning is extremely important. The other thing that I think is really important, and I'm sure you guys will agree, is information, i.e. data, is like gold nowadays. It's probably more important than any currency that we have out there. It's all of the privacy conversations. Everything comes back down to data and information. So for me, it's important that if you have information, you share it with those around you so that they can be better, so that they can learn. So that to me is extremely important as well. So it's not just about absorbing information and learning. It's also about sharing information and sharing data and making sure that others can learn as well and that they can be better. I think that, again, going back to that team mentality, if those around you are better than they were yesterday, then you as a group are better. So that's really, really important to me. That's that's extremely essential. We're going to take a short break and hear from our special sponsor. We're hanging out with Rob Bueller, founder of Bueller.tech. Rob, how are you? Welcome. I'm good. I'm good. Awesome. Listen, Bueller.tech is growing. Rob, tell us what is the core concept behind Bueller.tech? Yeah, it's clear to us that community is greater than complexity. And we believe that if we work together, we can make digital media and digital advertising a better business to be in. We think about that at the individual level, the department level, and even at the publisher level, and anyone that wants to support that concept. I love it. That's so cool. And I love the word that you said, community. Can you talk about the ways that you help the community? Yeah, I mean, we try to connect people with other people and create conversations. And sometimes those conversations are events, roundtables, Slack conversations, right? The key is to move things forward. And one thing I wanted to share with your audience is we like to create speaking opportunities. And mm-hmm. we think that speaking in front of an audience is a key skill set people need to advance their careers, which is why we love the Minority Report, because you highlight new voices. And we really support that concept. Thanks a lot, Rob. And thanks for always being such a great supporter of the podcast over the years. Your support means a lot. So everyone, please be sure to check out www.beeler.tech. And now back to the podcast. Awesome. And the the IEB has a bunch of different diversity and inclusion initiatives going on, which I think are awesome. And you're a part of those initiatives. If you can take for a minute, maybe speak to a little bit about some of those initiatives. And then the second question I have for you is, with respect to our industry, what do you think we can be doing to make it more inclusive? Let's we'll start with the first one first around just the IEB initiatives. I think last year we saw a huge outcry. We saw an uplift in the conversation around DEI within our industry. I think within all industries, right? It it was something that was becoming more apparent. You were seeing it more at the forefront. Of course, it was coming off of the back of some unfortunate events that were happening within our country. So for us, our response was to try to keep the conversation going and keep it active and, and utilize our platform and our member base to try to impact the industry and make some actual change. So we started what we are currently calling the IB Inclusion Institute. 
And a part of that was one to create a number of programs geared towards students from underrepresented communities so that they can get exposure to our industry, get access to our industry, and that they can learn and know more about where the opportunities lie within our industry, right? We've always heard that there's a pipeline issue. So we wanted to figure out a way to attack that first and foremost and making sure that students and kids are educated around what the opportunities are. It's extremely important. Uh, You know, when I was growing up and and culturally, I think this is a common thing. I was told, oh, you want to be successful, be a doctor, be a lawyer. And that was kind of it. Those were like the two big big thing, right? It was either be a doctor or be a lawyer. No one told me I could be a CMO or no one told me I could I could run an ad sales team or no one told me what a CRO is. These were not things that were talked about in my household and most of my friends who also came from the West Indian background or you know African background or was African-American or Puerto Rican. They didn't hear these things. These were not things that my cousin knew about. They didn't know what the salary ranges looked like. They didn't know what the day-to-day work was. They didn't know about any of these opportunities. It's something that I think is really important for us to share that information again. And that's what we're trying to do with our student program. Another program that we're doing is our apprenticeship program that should be fully launching next year. The apprenticeship program is one where we're trying to directly get individuals hired into organizations through apprenticeships. People don't realize this, but the U.S. Department of Labor actually allocates, I believe, about a half billion dollars towards apprenticeship grants every year. And that's their way to lower the unemployment rate. People think apprenticeships, they think trades with your hands. They think plumbing and things where you carpentry, things like that. But the truth of the matter is everything is digital, right? So there are a number of apprenticeships that are focused on digital And we're trying to really bring that into here in the U.S. And we're trying to make more kind of known within our industry. So and that's something that would directly get people from diverse backgrounds hired and kind of placed into jobs. So that is an immediate impact thing that we're trying to launch. And then I would say one of the the last programs that I mentioned is we have a manager training that we're trying to build out. And this is geared more towards the internal, right? Looking at what's happening within organizations and what's happening within our industry. And that's to really try to address frontline managers. There are statistics out there that show, and I don't have them off the top of my head, so I won't throw out any random numbers, but there are statistics out there that show that one of the top reasons why people leave their jobs is because of their manager. You could work at a great company and have a terrible manager and want to leave. Or you could work at a terrible company and have an amazing manager and feel like you want to stay there because of that person. Right. So a manager directly affects how people feel. So what we wanted to do was create a training that kind of teaches managers how to create a more inclusive and equitable workspace for their teams and figure that that is a way that we can create more of that equity within the industry itself. Let's look at the managers and let's figure out how we can make this a much more inclusive and diverse environment for the people that are coming in. Right. So as we're trying to get students in and we're trying to get the apprentices in, you got to make sure that they stay in, right? So that's kind of our approach with those two programs. Awesome. I appreciate you explaining all the great things that the IAB is doing and all the initiatives they have underway. Second part of that question, again, is around our industry as a whole, right? As you said, there's been lots of conversations specifically over the last couple of years 
the unfortunate events that we've seen in the U.S. in particular over that period of time has helped accelerate some of the conversations that we're now having. But I'm curious to get your thoughts, right, is what more can the industry be doing, you think, to be more inclusive and to really impact change as well, too, on top of all the great things that the IAB is doing and other companies are doing? Yeah, I think for the industry as a whole, I honestly, I do think we have to be more intentional about mentorship. I think mentorship is a way to immediately affect and bring some level of diversity. And I'm talking about we have to have people mentoring people that don't look like them. We have to have people having conversations with younger people in this industry or people who are not in this industry about what it means to be here and let them understand what the opportunities are. The other part of mentorship is that when you're building a relationship through a mentorship kind of dynamic, you're going to offer up opportunities for the mentee. It's not uncommon for somebody who's in a, in a position where they have someone who considers them a mentor that they're not going to think about that person when opportunities come up. So I think that's a major thing that we have to start being more intentional about how we're building those types of relationships. And I think that we really do need to approach some of the unconscious bias. I don't think that things are done with intent more often than not. I think that people are not having these negative thoughts and that they're doing things to maliciously hurt other people. But I think that we have to approach the fact that there is unconscious bias and maybe we need to put certain things in place to get around that unconscious bias. We have to figure out ways to award opportunities to people of different backgrounds. Again, this has to all be done intentionally. So I don't have an answer. I don't think that there is one answer. It's mm -hmm. too massive of a system to fix with one answer. We've heard people talk about it, but I, I think you have to start thinking about when you're looking for positions and roles. It doesn't matter at what level. You have to think about a legit diverse candidate pool. People talk about it, but how often are they actually doing it? Or how often are they just getting referrals and going with that referral? So I think there has to be a lot of intention behind getting around that unconscious bias that is out there. And I don't think that's exclusive to our industry. I think that that's just in general, corporate America, we, we have to be a little bit more focused on that. Oh, that makes sense. Thank you very much for sharing that. I'd like to think that along the way, you've had some folks who are kind of like mentors. And I'm curious about some of those folks. And, and as we're going through these times, we're working from home so much, and then also even sort of stepping back into the office a little bit, right? How are you managing work-life balance? And talk to us a little bit about that mentor piece too. The work-life, to be honest with you, it's one of the, the only good things that came out of the pandemic. I have a commute that is an hour and a half, two hours each way. So being able to take my kids to school in the morning over the past two years now, being able to pick them up, even take a break from meetings and go and grab them from school, being able to have a 30-second commute of leaving my office and, and being with my family, that makes a massive difference. It makes a massive difference for them. It makes a massive difference for my mental health. And I think that's really probably the only good thing that has come out of this situation. I think that's where you have people looking at this whole work from home situation as something that, you know, maybe companies need to do it a little bit more often, or it could be a little bit more permanent depending on certain positions and roles. 
But that's extremely important when it comes to work life. I would say over the past 18 months, it's it's been it's been great. It's been great to not have to see snow or rain outside and be like, oh man, it's gonna be traffic. You know, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, that's been good. And let me put a little twist on that question because we ask that question sometimes, right? And so now all of us have lived through almost two years, you know, something extremely unique, right? Like what you just mm-hmm. described. How would you then mentor others now with that newfound knowledge and experience? Part of it is people have to understand what it is that they really put value in. Some people put value in their work. For some people, that's where they they find the biggest reward. So I would never tell somebody like, oh, man, this is important. Working from home is what you have to do. Mm -hmm. I think, again, it, it depends on the personal preference, right? You have to look at that person and what they feel and what they're, what they really value. So when it comes to mentoring people, I think explaining my experiences is what I try to do best. I try to explain, here's what I experienced. But also I came from a mentality where when I'm 25, 26, still under 30, I'm like, man, I could, I could, I could go hard. I could work all these hours. I could Mm -hmm. put in all this work. But I would say even before the pandemic, becoming a father, that changed my mentality altogether. And that's where I had to explain my experiences of like, oh, you know, staying at the office till 10 o'clock at night prior to being married or having kids, that was nothing for me. But that's not what I want to do. You know, like that's not, that's not, that's not something that I would want to do, but that's where my, my values changed and they grew as I evolved. That's what I would mentor somebody is to understand, like, look, think about what your values are now right? Mm-hmm. Work towards them, but do also understand that you as a person, you're going to change and you're going to evolve and your values might change and evolve too. Yep. it's big. That is why the times that we're living in right now with work life and in office, virtual hybrid is so interesting, but yet so difficult to solve for, right? Because to your point, Mike, right? Everyone is different Everyone's at different stages of their life, their career journey, what they put value on. And that's why it's just so interesting to have this conversation and so fascinating to see just what the work world looks like as we move forward. Because I think we've learned so much (laughs) over the last couple of years going through this unfortunate experience as well. So my question for you, 15-year career, what advice would... Michael Texador today give to Michael Texador 15 years ago, starting out in his career? Oh, 15 years ago, buy Facebook stock early. I don't, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> yeah. jump, jump on it when it, when it was an IPO and at $33. Um, I don't know. I always think of the back to the future, like going back and giving myself the sports almanac, that type of thing. <laughs> I'll reference back to to kind of my upbringing. I came from a household where hard work was important. And for me, that was the number one thing. I used to listen to this video of Will Smith inspirational quotes. And he would say this thing about, you know, if he will work harder than the next person, right? So if, if you and him get on a treadmill, he will either stay on that treadmill till you get off or he will die on that treadmill, right? So for me, it was work harder than the next person. That was how I was raised, is to have a endless work ethic. And 
what I didn't understand and what was not part of what my parents taught me was about networking, understanding how to kind of grow and nurture certain professional relationships. And I think going back 15 years, I would have done that more. I would have talked to myself and been like, look, you should really think about the value of your relationships and which ones you want to grow and which ones you want to build. And that's something that even now I'm still learning. I'm still kind of growing into because that was not, again, growing up in a certain type of household, coming from parents who were just trying to get us what we needed. My mom wasn't thinking about going out to a networking event or she wasn't thinking about, let me build out these relationships with this person or that person, you know? And like I said, my dad, his focus was coming home and making dinner or making sure that we had gift bags for our birthday parties in school. So those were the things that my parents were focused on. But I I think telling myself from a professional standpoint, like, hey, figure out a good way to build relationships as you go through your career. Absolutely great advice. It is so important to have that network, especially as you grow in your career. So love the advice. All right. Fun question that, you know, I love asking every guest that we have on this podcast, which is to give us the top three apps that you use on your phone, which you can name email, calendar, or text messaging, because those are just way too boring. (laughs) I will try to not name boring ones. So number one, YouTube. YouTube, All right. I'm a big YouTube junkie. I watch so much diverse stuff. I'm watching everything from recaps from all the late night shows. I'm watching my SNL on YouTube. I'm watching cooking stuff. I'm watching some famous YouTubers, science stuff. Like I'm just watching everything, everything from video games, anime, comic book stuff. I'm a little bit of a comic book head. So I'm watching all of that stuff. Marvel recaps. You know, last week, the Spider-Man trailer came out. I watch a ton of movie things. I watch every trailer as soon as it comes out. Back in the day before YouTube, when you went to the movie theaters, you wanted to get there early enough to see the trailers. That was a thing. Now, if I get there 10 minutes late, I'm okay with that because I've already (laughs) seen every trailer out there. You know, I'm like, oh, I already saw that. That's coming out on, on Netflix in a couple of weeks. You know, so it's different now. So YouTube for sure is number one. Google Maps, I know that's going to seem weird. I, Google Maps, because I, I check traffic. Even if I know where I'm going and I've gone there a million times, I check traffic to see if there's a better route all the time. The other thing is, if you tell me a place that's good to eat or, or visit, or Pharrell, you said to me like, oh yeah, check this place out. You, you know, <laughs> I will put it in my Google Maps and save it as a place to go. Oh, and nice. whenever we're, you know, me and my kids or me and family were anywhere, I'll look on my Google Maps and see like what's nearby. So there's been many a times where we're out someplace and my wife will say, oh, check your Google Maps to see what's nearby. Because she knows I save good places to eat that I might see on TV or, or somebody recommends. So Google Maps, I'm always saving stuff in Google Maps and I'm always checking things in Google Maps. And then I do play a mobile game. It's called State of Survival. I got into it because of the pandemic. and so. I would say that and Discord. So prior to quarantine, I wasn't really much of a gamer. I'm still not much of a gamer. This is really kind of the only game that I play. But I started playing this game and I understood the sense of community 
mm. that mobile games and, and just gaming in general builds. So I have now friends and relationships with people all over the world through this game. We have our, our events and our, our little wars and things that we do. So I'm, I'm playing this game. If I get a free moment, I'm jumping on. But even when I'm not on the game, I'm in our Discord channel and we're joking. I think last night we were sending Michael Jackson songs. There was a whole conversation about what's the best <laughs> Michael Jackson song. And I'm talking about people in Australia, people in Switzerland people in the Philippines, a lot of people here in the U.S., we were just all having these conversations and connecting. So that sense of community that was built through this mobile game, you know, it's something that actually really helped me get through the pandemic. You know, when we were being flooded with so much negative news and information, being able to just have conversations with people and not have to think about sometimes all of the negativity, it was great. So I would say Discord and, and that game are, are kind of tied up for number three. That's great. And by the way, I don't know if I could pick one Michael Jackson song. <laughs> yeah. I leave it at that. Yeah, it, was, it, was, yeah. it was a very tricky conversation. I will tell you, prior to Michael Jackson, we were arguing about the best Prince songs. So it, so. Was, it was, yeah, yeah, you're talking about two hard categories there. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And probably one that'll keep going on the discussion. (laughs) So that's awesome. That's awesome. So speaking of keeping the conversation going and and the discussion, Michael, what are some ways that our listeners can stay in touch and get in touch with you? What are a couple easy ways to stay in touch with you? Yeah. Reach out to me on LinkedIn. I'm pretty easy to find. There's not that many Michael Texadors out there. So uh, luckily I have a very unique name. You can also email me either my IB email, so michael.texador at ib.com, or reach out to me via Gmail if, if you want to connect. M, my last name, texador at gmail.com. That's pretty much like the two main ways to kind of reach out to me. Excellent. All right. Michael Texador, thank you so much for joining us from the IEB or the Interactive Advertising Bureau, for those of you who didn't know. Thanks so much for spending time with us. And we want to thank our sponsor, again, Beeler Tech, focused on building meaningful relationships for individuals and companies, activating powerful connections and conversations. In the digital advertising and media world, Beeler Tech is your connection to what's possible. So please check out Beeler.tech. And everyone, thanks again for listening. You can find more episodes where you find all of your audio and video and just search Minority Report Podcast and look for the logo. Thanks again. Take care.